You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left taller. Jab Productions a present Edge of Sports bit. Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarn. The Schmara Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarn, joined as always by a producer who greeted me today by saying, isn't Doug Gottlieb an idiot? And that's why I love him so. Dan Baker, DB, thank you for having the idiot detection advice working at all times. Doug Gottlieb certainly does qualify. Learn from the best, Dave. Thank you, thank you. My favorite Doug Gottlieb story is that he is a man who does not think college athletes should be paid, yet he was kicked out of one of his schools for stealing. What a hypocrite. Uh, So happy to be joined in the show this week by someone who's been a guest on the show before. She is in studio all the way from Canada, made the trip just to be here for this hour. That's actually not factually true. Shireen Ahmed. Shireen, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Are you kidding me? On this week of all weeks where sports and politics didn't only collide but exploded, I am so thrilled to have you here to talk some of this stuff through. It's awesome. I can't wait to... uh not to be polite and reserved. Oh, you shall be neither polite nor <laughs> reserved. And speaking of neither polite nor reserved, me, Mark Barry. How you doing, me, Mark? I, I like that introduction. I'll take that every time. Every time. Every time. Every time. We got a hell of a show this week. The coach is running late, but he will be here. But we will be joined by Howard Bryant, who is a senior writer for ESPN, the magazine. He has been writing about these athletes in acts of protest all month. And he, I mean, he's just, he's been on it. He's had an amazing take on things. And His recent column, he also spoke about issues of gender and the possibilities of these, uh, the message of these protests expanding, which was very interesting. We'd love to talk to him about that. And we're going to talk to a man named Pete Ahern, who uh, has put a petition up to get John Carlos and Tommy Smith, uh, have their ban by the International Olympic Committee finally rescinded. Believe it or not, they're still banned from doing anything with the International Olympic Committee. John Carlos and Tommy Smith, 46 years after raising their fists on the medal stand in Mexico City. Uh, But you know what we're going to talk about first, obviously, after the break. I mean, might have to say a quick thing about Roger Goodell and how just incredibly stupid he is and the way they're handling this issue of interpersonal violence, uh, gender violence, intimate partner violence. Uh, But, of course, we're going to talk about the explosion of political T-shirts, on the court, not just in the National Basketball Association, mind you, but in the NCAA also. Very interesting. And the NFL. But first, we got to go to break. We'll be back right after this. 
Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Shereen Ahmed, how you doing, Shereen? Good, great, thanks. Great, Mimar Barry, doing Mimar? I'm doing well. I, I mean, before we talk about the T-shirts, I think people want to listen to hear what we have to say about, because we always talk about athletes and activism on this show. It's a central running theme. I have to just say something, though, about uh, Roger Goodell and the new personal conduct policy that was put out by the NFL, because with it has come out all of these transcripts of Roger Goodell at the Ray Rice hearing in front of federal judge Barbara Jones, where she deemed him to be a liar. And the thing when you read these transcripts that comes across is that I have always thought that Roger Goodell is an opportunist. I've always thought he has, uh, I call it uh, Commissioner Kipling, in other words, white man savior complex. I've always thought uh, he is absolutely um, repellent in terms of how he deals with people who he deems to be his underlings. But before I read this transcript, I never would have classified him as a George W. Bush-esque mental midget, like somebody who actually lacked just the basic intellectual facilities to do his job. But you read this transcript... And what comes across is somebody who literally does not have the most basic understandings of human vocabulary. His thing about, you know, that he's reading from his doodles at the thing. I mean, this was the most unbelievable thing in the world. Like he didn't take notes at the Ray Rice hearing, but he's reading the doodles that he didn't quite get that there was anything wrong with having a survivor of domestic violence and the person who perpetrated that domestic violence both sitting in front of him at the same time to beg for his job. Like, did not see anything wrong with that. Still doesn't see anything wrong with that. And now that he says he has a nine-person ownership team with no input whatsoever from the NFL Players Association and and made up of owners, you told me, Mark, only one woman on this. uh, There's two, and they're they're both related to owners as well. They're both related to owners, the wives of owners. Great. And, And it's being headed by Michael Bidwell, who is a generational owner of the Cardinals. His grandfather bought the team, Stormy Bidwell, one of the legendarily worst owners in the history of sports. And Michael Bidwell's a former prosecutor. So once again, this insanely top-down, rich white guy, savior complex stuff, which if you talk to anybody who actually does work on intimate partner violence, is absolutely the wrong way to deal with this. And Shireen, before we talk about athletes and activism, which is fun and interesting and exciting, I would just love your thoughts about how the NFL has handled this and what you think about their general approach to intimate partner violence. Well, like you said, Goodell's approach is actually really offensive in so many ways because it's so clear through his transcripts and through the way he's handled himself that either his PR team is absolutely ignorant and unaware into how little interaction he's ever had with someone who is a survivor of domestic violence and gender-based violence. And you would think that someone at that level might take five seconds or be advised by somebody who has actually come in contact with either frontline workers, people who counsel or advocates, who actually work on the ground. And this is the problem with these elitist positions is people are completely out of touch Mm -hmm. with, and then they intend to create policies and stuff. It's one of the biggest problems. It takes five seconds, like, Call, a sh- call somebody. Mm-hmm. Call. Um, there's so many groups out there that can put you in touch. Just have a two-second conversation, that interaction, those interpersonal skills. He's completely lacking. And if coupled with his complete ignorance and inability to articulate properly, it's a gong show. And it's, yeah. it's offensive and it's not enough. And it survivors 
of domestic violence and athletes, they deserve better than this. Absolutely. Well said. I, I have nothing to add to that. Mark, and any thoughts on what you've seen and, and what you're hearing? I just think that every action that Roger Goodell has made from the beginning, completely uh, bungling the Ray Rice uh, initial investigation, I feel like each iteration is a way to insulate himself in the league further mm-hmm. uh, through top down, like you said, through just kind of almost militaristic power structures where the where you're guilty until you're proven innocent and a lot of these sort of things. And the main concern with the Ray Rice was that Goodell was there for the initial investigation. So the change is Goodell's no longer there for the initial investigation, so he can still rule on the appeals, but he has lackeys who are doing the same thing. Yeah. So I mean, every every out that was there, they're they're trying to like con- consider the outs before. Yeah. Uh, before. <laughs> And and an organization that exercised their power throughout the entire Ray Rice and Janae Rice episode, they exercised their power horribly Mm -hmm. at every step of the way. Their conclusion is we didn't have enough power. Yes. And that's frightening because to me, one of the lessons is this power needs to be moved away from ownership and we need to find structures that deal with this in a different kind of way. One good thing about the bungling of this is that I truly think it's left them distracted and their hands tied as players in the NFL have stood up for the people in Ferguson, for the families of Michael Brown, for the families of Eric Garner, Eric Garner Tamir Rice, Akai Gurley, and everybody who has found themselves uh, killed uh, at the hands of police violence in this country. I have just first, I just want to ask you, Shireen, like, any re- any instant reaction that you've had by, by seeing all of these athletes? I mean, we're supposed to think that if athletes do stand up on political issues, it, it's done off the court. The idea of bringing the, their visibility to bear, basically, on this issue is so striking. Anything, what's, what's been striking about it to you? What, what is the part about all of these recent athletic protests that really stands out for you? For me, one of the most interesting things has been media reaction to it. People are really shocked. And I, I find that almost laughable because... I said this, I was on a panel this week uh, talking about sports and human rights in D.C. And I talked about this, how athletes are humans first. And they're parts of uh, communities, many of them marginalized. And when they bring how they're feeling to the court for a warm-up or what else, I don't know why people are surprised. I don't put the onus only on athletes to speak out necessarily because they're there to compete as well. But if they need to make a public statement, they deserve community support, they deserve public support, and they deserve media support for Mm -hmm. it. And I think that it's incredibly powerful because they reach youth, they reach communities. And for me, that's a huge piece. I also don't want to fault them if they're not particularly feeling in a safe space Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. First and foremost, athletes need a safe space to be able to express themselves and as, as the, is their right to do so. I do love seeing um, men and women speak out, uh, out about it. I would love to see more women, not necessarily only women of color. I'd love to see more women speak out about it. You wrote an article about um, Ariana from Knox College and how she mm-hmm. spoke out about it and she demonstrated. Ariana Smith, yeah. Ariana Smith would love to see more of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'd also love to see more white athletes or more than one. So we, we just had the first white athlete last night take part in these protests. David Allen is part of the Georgetown Hoyas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those things where I would have liked to have seen, for example, Kevin Love do it since Kyrie Irving and LeBron James put themselves out there. And that is what the big three is supposed to be. Show solidarity with the big three. But I was having a discussion with Dr. John Carlos this morning from the 68 Olympics. Sorry, name drop, I know. <laughs> but he, he made just a very good point because he was talking about Peter Norman, the white athlete who was on the medal stand with him who offered solidarity and he said like look we didn't have to what made it special is we didn't have to pressure peter norman to do it it was something peter norman felt compelled as a human being to do as an anti-racist he felt like he had to do this and that's what you want to see from white athletes you want white athletes who are not doing it because they're going with 
you know, everybody else or they feel pressured to do it. You want people doing it from their hearts so you know it's genuine and real. So it's real solidarity. And then he, and I, that, that, that affected me. But it also, but then it's also kind of stark because then it's like, well, why doesn't Kevin Lover, I don't mean to mean to pick on him, but why don't more white athletes feel a sense of instinctual solidarity on this issue? And, and shouldn't they? they? They should. I think there's an important thing to be said about being a good ally. And as long yes. as the conversations, I believe firmly, the conversations should be driven by black communities because mm-hmm. it's the violence that affects them in this situation. And in order to be a good ally, it's important to listen. And, mm-hmm. and you can show solidarity by getting out there and doing it as long as you don't take over Mm-hmm. For some type of publicity, sound or political motivation, as long as it's sincere, you stand there and you listen and you show your support. And exactly. There's lots of space for everybody to do that. Exactly. And you see that. And that, but that's the other thing that's disappointing about the lack of white athletic visibility is you look at these protests and they're profoundly multiracial. And and that that uh, to me and, and young, which shows like young white people saying this is not the kind of world that I want to live in where yeah. black people's lives are disposable. Mm-hmm. And that, that gives a sense of hope. And the thing that athletes do that makes it so powerful is that they um, they have the power to puncture privilege yeah. because you have communities throughout this country where you can go your whole lives without even seeing a protest where you could go your whole lives without seeing a person of color unless they're in a position of service for you. There are whole communities like that in the United States, yet these communities also watch sports, and it forces them to confront ideas that otherwise they would not like to confront. And I think that's the root of some of the – like the only word is annoyance of people like Joe Scarborough, Bill O'Reilly. It's not so much that they're mad at, at these athletic protesters. It's like they're annoyed because it's invading their mental space, Don't a space that they have us. chosen. Yeah. yeah, they've chosen that yeah. space to be segregated. Don't drag us into this. It's not our problem. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, we're not done talking about no. this, so don't worry. I know it's we, <laughs> we're tightly structured here. We got to go to break. We'll be back after this with Howard Bryant. One, one, two, two, don't one, two, move. Three, Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We are back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Shereen Ahmed, thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. And Coach, coming out, how you doing, Coach? All right, Shereen really enhances the uh, the looks in this place. You know what I'm saying? She's oh, beautiful. Jesus, and uh, boy, I tell you. Smart. I'm smart, Coach. Guys. Oh, yeah. That's a given. You've already displayed that. <laughs> that, that, that's clear for all Coach, you, these guys, Coach, man. You, you're, you are such a fossil. Um, <laughs> we we have on next. I resemble that remark. <laughs> no, very happy to have him on the show. He he's putting forward a petition on Change.org, which is incredibly righteous, and as you'll hear soon enough, very much relates to everything we've been talking about this week. His name is Peter Ahern. Peter, how you doing, sir? Very well, Dave. How are you? Very well indeed, very well indeed. Talk a little bit, if you would, about this petition that you've written, what it is, who it's for, and what you hope to accomplish. The petition was written by myself. Um, it is an effort to get Dr. Tommy Smith and Dr. John Carlos reinstated into the International Olympic community. Mm-hmm. They were banned after their uh, gloved fist protest at Mexico City in 1968, some 46 years ago. And it's about time that this wrong 
was righted. Mm-hmm. Um, what they did was neither illegal, it was not immoral, and it was done peacefully. And we're supposed to be a giving, uh, sorry, a forgiving society. Mm-hmm. So after uh, 46 years, it's time to right this wrong. Um, I used the word a minute ago, uh, forgiving. There's nothing to forgive. They didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So yes, we exactly need, you right. know, we, the purpose the purpose of the petition is to garner enough uh, signatures so that um, we might present to the powers that be a uh, compilation of X amount of uh, signatures saying that this right needs to be wrong, and hopefully they will look at it and um, make the right decision, which would be to reinstate both of these uh, fine gentlemen. Now, P- Peter, what, what inspired you personally to take this on? I have spoken with uh, John Carlos uh, on a number of occasions. I've met him. And just, I don't know, it never dawned on me. I've known him for about maybe 10 years or so. And uh, it never dawned on me that they had not been reinstated. Yeah. So I got with my uh, colleagues with the uh, retired guardians and uh, got approval to put the um, petition up uh, with their backing and, uh, you know, just took it from there. Now, obviously, there are a lot of parallels between what they did then, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of athletes speaking out today after the deaths of Michael Brown and Eric Garner and um, Tamir Rice and Akai Gurley and others. Um, When you put this forward, I mean, do you now see this also as a way to help and defend and show athletes today who speak out that there'll be people who have their back? Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Um, you know, they I don't know what the process is, mm-hmm. but to make a long story short, they just reinstate, reinstated Ray Rice after his transgression. Yeah, and it's they I, the are looking at mm-hmm. re, they are looking at reinstating uh, what is Adrian Peterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, they reinstated uh, Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. If you want to get on the political side, they released Nelson Mandela from uh, prison, and and he was elected president of uh, South Africa. I mean, so my ha- point is that yeah, there please. is, for lack of a better term, forgiveness, and in this case, forgiveness is not the proper term. But you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, we're going to put the petition out on Twitter again. Uh, We're going to put it out on Facebook, and we're going to get you to that goal, your signature goal at change.org, and we're going to fight to make sure that John Carlos and Tommy Smith have a seat at the table of the International Olympic Committee. Whether they want that seat or not is their business. It's certainly not for the IOC to say whether or not they get that seat. And thank you, thank you, Peter Ahern. Thank you so much for your work on this. Thank you for your help, Dave. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you. Um, that was Peter Ahern uh, calling in from Florida about this this task that he has taken on for himself. 
And I have to say, Shireen, it is striking to me, like when he, he mentioned some names like Ray Rice, Adrian Peterson, Muhammad Ali, Nelson Mandela, obviously four profoundly different cases, but the ways in which John Carlos and Tommy Smith have remained pariahs for 46 years, given, honestly, the sports world's penchant because they love the narrative of giving people second chance, frankly, because the narrative is usually very marketable. And it allows them to say, look how forgiving we are, blah, blah, blah. Yet these two men have been cast out to such a degree. I mean, how do you explain that? How do you process that? Well, I think, like you said, the cases are very different. But in the situation of uh, Ray Rice getting reinstated and possibly Adrian Peterson, the situation is it becomes a political process. They've got huge organizations with a lot of money and business interests and corporations advocating for them. Now... um, in in the case of you know like it, specifically like uh peter said they didn't do anything wrong so basically if ioc reinstates them is that they'll have to address that this was a right this was a wrong that they have to make right when in essence it actually wasn't even a wrong it was it's been 64 years it's ridiculous this is yeah, actually 46 yeah for, sorry 46 yeah, yeah. it's it's a process that can be overturned, and it's mm-hmm. a lack of interest in able to do so. Like, what can the IOC make out of this? What will they get out of it? Yeah. That's really what it boils down to. Yeah, the lack of moral urgency by the IOC. You almost think if someone had that kind of moral urgency, then they wouldn't be long in the IOC. And we they also would almost ex- be a disqualifier for power <laughs> in the IOC. We also expect so. people to sign this petition who have shared that photo. Like you said, people use the narrative to their advantage. Oh, we support athletes and we support you know, the right for black athletes to speak out. Okay, well then put your money where your mouth is and put your power where, where your, your mouth is and sign this petition and let's get them reinstated. Exactly. Coach Abbott, I mean, man, I just want your thoughts on this. And the money's going to stay in their wallet. That's That's the big problem. Yeah. 46 years, this is a no-brainer. I mean, Why would you even do, do this? Yeah. And, Coach, this is a chance to ask you, though. I mean, John Smith, I mean, sorry, John Carlos, Tommy Smith, I mean, it immediately raises the question of backlash of athletes who speak out. You see these athletes today wearing these shirts, trying to speak out. Do you see any repercussions for any of these guys? What do you I think? hope not. I hope not. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, I think it's coming from the heart. It's sincere. They've got nothing to gain. And, you know, it was Howard mentioned the white athletes, and you wrote about it. You know, where's has anybody asked Peyton Manning at all? Yeah. Uh, Eli Manning was asked, and he all he said was, I think people have to know a lot about an issue before they speak out. And I couldn't tell if he was being humble and saying, honestly, I just don't know enough to say anything, or if he was being a dick, for lack of a better term, and saying, I don't think these other athletes, a.k.a. black athletes, know what they're talking about. It was ambiguous right. and, frankly, a little yeah. bit disturbing. Yeah, very much so. I, uh, but it's Eli Manning, so and, he is ambiguous <laughs> and a little bit disturbing. And you're talking about, Dave, you know, it's se- well, 75% um, uh, African-American, blacks, I, I don't use that term, uh, in the NFL. But if you look at the starting lineups, that number's probably higher. Sure. I would probably say of the 22 guys starting, I know it is an SEC, but that's another topic. Of the 22 players starting on a given Sunday on a team, I would venture to say 18 or more are black athletes. So how can Peyton Manning know that these are my guys and just be ambivalent or, uh, eh, well, I, I got to go over to Papa John's. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I don't, I, 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 I'm not digging that. You know? Yeah. You've got to 
show some solidarity. And he'd be the first one to talk about team, team, team. We're a family. Let's, as a matter of fact, he has. Let's get together in the preseason and off season and throw passes and, and talk about it. I believe in bonding. And then here you go. And to, to, to even say what Vanilla, what Manning said, but, to, but to not to say nothing. But uh, hey, uh, here's a coupon for Papa Papa John's. I don't, I, I'm missing it. Now maybe he is in the locker room and he's and he's and he wants to share that in public. But I just wanted to step in here and say too that in the NBA, one good thing about the NBA anyway is that the athletes don't get formally fined for making such expressions. In FIFA, they do. You can mm. actually wear a T-shirt. I remember uh, Frédéric Canute wrote a, a wore a shirt. He lifted his jersey to show a Free Palestine shirt, and he was fined for it. Mm. And he said, "I would do it again and again." In this situation, athletes don't actually have repercussions for doing that, and that's something else we have to keep in mind. That all over the world, they don't have those same freedoms necessarily. Well, uh, let me ask you this: Anthony Uja, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, who's a Nigerian soccer player who plays for Germany's FC Köln. Uh, I'm probably mispronounced that too, but he lifted his jersey earlier this week, and I believe it said "R.I.P. Eric Garner" was, I believe, the message on his shirt. Do you? Th- I mean, it's a similar thing to the NFL. Like, do you think um, Anthony Uja is going to be fined, or do you think that the issue itself is so uh, nuclear right now that they wouldn't dare do it? I mean, I'll be, I'll be, wouldn't won't won't that be an interesting thing to see? Well, I have no faith in FIFA on these kinds of issues. There's no consistency. And, I mean, they're very happy to slap fines where they can instead of addressing addressing issues like homophobia, gender inequality, and lack of financing. It's important to go. Their priorities are so solid, right, mm. in terms of going after this kind of stuff. And I'm sure he would be fined. His club might support him, and they'll issue a statement. At the end of the day, someone could put forth a complaint, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was fined. Wow. And you know, it, it, it's so obviously not just they're saying we don't want politics in sports, but we want to control the politics mm. in sports. It's not an anti-political message. It's an anti-player message. Because, of, I mean, my God, what is more political than FIFA, for goodness sakes? <laughs> but it's like it's the political discourse that they want to control. That's what's so maddening about it. Uh, let me tell you what's about to happen right now. We are going to go to break... You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined right now by the coach, Kevin McNutt. Hey, coach. <laughs> What's happening, buddy? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Me, Mark Barry, and so happy to have Sharina Med in studio in town for this international summit on human rights and sports. Excellent, and thank you for sitting in with us. Our next guest, uh, he has written just some amazing pieces uh, on ESPN.com, ESPN the magazine, about this recent explosion, this collision and explosion of sports and politics that's happened in the wake of the killings of Michael Brown and Eric Garner and Tamir Rice and Akai Gurley and so many others. So happy to have him on the show. His name is Howard Bryant. Howard, how you doing, sir? Hey, Dave. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Your recent column, I think, that in ESPN the magazine must reading for everybody about this this recent outbreak of protest in sports. You describe today's athletes as being post Jordan or post Jordan era, and I just wanted to ask you: Do you think? Do you really think that's where we are? Do we think that we are at an actual break between the athletes of the '90s and the first part of the 2000s? The apolitical, looking at commercialism first. I mean, do you th- do you think we're at- like that break has taken place? No, I, I don't. I think that there are several individuals who have made that break. I don't think there's anything that would suggest a tidal wave in terms of a plurality at all. One of the things that I've been thinking about 
most recently is where are the white players? Mm-hmm. Where, where are the teammates who are sitting right next to some of these guys? It just shows you that this isn't really much different than the divided locker rooms of old when it came to where these guys come from. They're essentially independent contractors. They all work for themselves and happen to share the same room with a lot of other guys. I yeah. think that there are certain I think there are certain players who recognize that the stakes are higher now. I don't know if the stakes are I, I don't know, I'm not gonna say the stakes are higher than they were in the in the nineties, but people I think because of social media and I think because of being in this post nine eleven world we're in where you can see such a stark contrast between the politicization of sports from the flyover to the singing cops to the militarization of it all. I think that stands in such contrast to what's happening in these minority communities that the players recognize that that it's right in front of their faces and the ones with conscience needed to say something. Right about white athletes, we were talking beforehand, David Allen of Georgetown last night, the first white athlete to wear a solidarity shirt, did so in the context of everybody on the team wearing one. Um, Howard, yeah, I've been reading your writings and your tweets, and you know, you've been writing some very, very like hard hitting uh, comments. You wrote about black communities being under conditions of occupation. I mean, do you feel like that your writings have gotten more political, like with what's going on right now in the world? And have you felt any pushback by editors, by people in power around you to tone any of it down? No, not at all. And I think that's one of the one of the great things about where we're at right now, I think this is one of those right side of history types of moments. I think it's no different from Adam Silver choosing the the battle that he wants to take on. Is this the battle that you want right now? Do you really want to talk about about wearing the uniform when when we have a YouTube video of Eric Garner right. being choked? I right. think that maybe my bosses at ESPN feel that Sports belongs on the sports page and news belongs on the news page, but I don't think so. I think that my attitude has been what it's always been. They know me. They hired me for this. It's not a surprise. I've been this way ever since I took the job, since before I took the job. And I think that this is the, this is the power of, of who we are. And I, I think that one of the hard parts of the job isn't the bosses. I think your bosses want you to be what you think you're capable of being. I think the problem comes from, especially in a social media era, the backlash from the public. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm getting the, the, the real smackdowns or attempted smackdowns that I've been facing have been from a public that simply fortify and reinforce my original opinion mm-hmm. that we've got a major, major divide, a major gap. We don't know each other. And these moments expose that gap more than ever, especially in sports, because it's one of the few areas where you've got African Americans in control, in power. They're the they're the power. They're the entertainment, and you recognize by watching this that you're watching them for their ability, but you don't really care who they are. It's not helping you reach them. Mm-hmm. It's not helping you understand their communities. That. That's very depressing to me that you would think that. I used to ask this question all the time, especially about guys in our business. How can you cover an industry that's 70 or 80% black and feel the way you feel? And that's the stuff that I think has been really coming out. It hasn't been my boss. It's been the public. It's been 
interesting to see that kind of public reaction going by comment sections. And th- I know that's like the general rule of mental wellness is don't read the comment section. But well, the comments don't belong to you. That's the thing. I actually don't have a problem with the comments. I think when I read the comments, I read comments just to see what people think. And, and I know it's lowest common denominator stuff, but my attitude is, is that, look, I read you in the nation. I read you online and on Twitter, and you read me. And, you know, both of us, we write books, and I'm on ESPN, and we, we're both on TV on the same program. We have the power to say what we feel. And I feel like the comment section belongs to them. If you can't handle or if I can't mm-hmm. handle the comments, we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, no, that's true. And the and it also what you said about the lowest common denominator by reading it, the value in it, even if it does affect the mental wellness <laughs> aspect of your life, is that it, it, it shows you where the floor is, which is always, that's to right. me, a very interesting question. Because if we know it's the lowest point, then it's good to see where that lowest point is. How low are we getting? What are fans actually saying how how bold are the racists is basically what i'm saying here like how bold do they feel like they can be because the more muted they are says something about the strength of our side and the more bold they are says something about whether or not they feel in the driver's seat i mean you see this in the reaction to michael brown versus eric garner about how they feel and when i say they i don't just mean the comments people i mean like the fox news bots and like they feel on much less sure ground around one case than the other, even though for I know for you and me, it's not about who's the more perfect victim. It's about someone without a gun, had an interaction with a police officer, ends up dead. Well, exactly. And I think there are two things at work. One, to me, I don't really think about it in terms of how the racists feel or whatever, because those people who feel what they feel, they're not going to change their mind anyway. My issue is the reading comprehension of it. Are we how are we viewing, it's like Rashomon, how are we viewing what's going on? You know, what are we seeing? With, you know, the, which sets of eyes are seeing something totally different? And also why? And I think that there are times when I reach the point where I just say, look, they hate us. And there's no way around it. They don't want us to have anything. They've never wanted us to have anything. This is why we have to fight for everything we get. And then there are other times when I look at it and I say, well, look, you can't necessarily think that way because look at all the white kids and the Asian kids and the Latino kids who are laying in the street with the black kids. Yeah. Maybe it's simply the fact that in this industry, it's split down the middle. It's white and black. And then the other thing that I think of, too, when I, when I look at this is also reinforcement of the power of law enforcement. And the post-9-11 power of law enforcement is stronger than it's been even in the 80s when I was coming up and we were in the conservative 80s when it was, you know, Reagan, Bush and everything. I think it's even stronger now because of fear. I, I think that when those towers went down, all bets were off in terms of the fear of not feeling safe. And when you don't feel safe, you give more and more power to the state. And when we talk about, I remember... I remember after the Rodney King verdict, actually, no, O.J., I remember after the, after the O.J. Simpson verdict, one of my editors actually said to my face, this is just proof that black people are incapable of administering justice on one another, which is nonsense because black people put black people away on juries all the time. But wow. what struck me about this is 
post 9-11, the amount of merchandising of law enforcement that people, actual citizens, honest everyday citizens, average everyday people, were wearing hats of the enforcer. You're wearing mm-hmm. hats of NYPD, of the people who give you tickets and the people who can harass you or shoot you. And people are walking around wearing FBI hats and CIA. And, you know, and not just that, hats. I remember after 9-11... Uh, we, we were doing meetings in D.C. about like with titles like don't turn tragedy into war and stand up against Islamophobia. Yeah. And if someone would and these would be meetings that would have like one, two hundred college students. And if someone would yeah. walk in even wearing a New York Yankees hat, you would be like, "Uh oh, watch out for that person. They might disrupt the meeting. Like, well, and what's also <laughs> the other piece of that, too, I, I got a little long winded there, but the piece of that is is that if we're talking about being capable or incapable of administering justice, how can you call your how can you call your jury pools untainted when people own NYPD gear? No yeah. wonder there's no no wonder there are no indictments of the police. It's essentially the same as having a football jersey of your favorite team. Yeah. Wow. And it's interesting too, nine eleven I don't know if you if you caught this, but the police union in New York recently went on a big uh, media push buying big ads about the number of police officers who've died in the line of duty in the last fifteen years and how it's no, almost exactly. as many as the number of people who've died at the hands of police. And they didn't include the fact that of the I believe sixty of the seventy officers who they listed as died all died in nine eleven. And they grouped no, exactly. it all together well, as if they had all died at the hands of people who look like Eric Garner, which was the strong implication. Well, I think that what's at work, and the hard part for me, once again, is, and you've heard me say it a gazillion times, it's all different when you're the target. Yeah. If you're not the target, all of this doesn't apply to you. Your relationship. I remember when I was a kid, I was in, when I was at Temple, I was in New Jersey, and my uncle and I walked into a convenience store, and... I had to have been like a freshman or a sophomore. And my uncle walked in, and there was a cop who came out. And they had a nice, friendly conversation and shook hands, and on he went. And my uncle introduced me to the officer, and I didn't shake his hand. And I just looked at him and just kind of said hello, and that was it. And my uncle really gave me the business in the car about my manners. And I said, I don't trust them. (laughs) You know, I don't trust them. I never have trusted them because my experience, my personal interaction with them has always been one of fear and power on their part. And mm-hmm. so when you, when you follow what's going on here, it's not a surprise that the, the readerships and the comment sections and all these things, that there's such an incongruity because that's not the experience for a lot of people. For a lot of people, the first thing that happens if you're in trouble is, you don't have a problem dialing law enforcement, and and we've known this for years. But the problem is, is that is, is that the dominant culture, white culture, middle class, upper middle class culture, and let's not forget class in all of this. Mm-hmm. They re- they refuse to acknowledge that this experience is very different from theirs, and it's legitimate. Mm-hmm. It's not that oh you must have done something. It's legitimate. And as long as they refuse to believe that, that, yeah, that if you're poor or if you're black, there are cops who are just going to mess with you, then none of this is going to change. Howard Bryant, hey, (laughs) we're at the end of our time. Just like that, I can't believe 14 minutes just went by that quickly. As always, man, we always...
I'm yeah, telling you, right? it's the weirdest thing, man. You 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 have the ability to make the clock move faster. I swear, man. If we hung out too much, I would just I would be seventy tomorrow. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Howard, thanks so much for joining us, my friend. Yeah, my pleasure. That was Howard Bryant, uh, folks out there. Yo, we got to go to break right now. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. We're back on Edge of Sports Radio. Wrap up the show. Sharina Med, thanks so much for joining us this week. It's been our pleasure. Thanks. It's been awesome. <laughs> and, Coach, you yeah. said you had a question you wanted to pose to the room as we wrap up the show. Yes. Dave, Mark, Shereen, I want to say something to you. Please do. You guys, I mean, you guys are special. You guys are freaks of nature. Huh. Did I compliment I- you or did I insult you? Uh, wow. That's a, a freak of nature. Honestly, it depends on the context. Yeah. And it depends on who you're saying it to. Okay. Let me, oh, let me go. Go ahead. I mean, I think, Shereen, you know where I'm going with this, right? I'll take it as a compliment. I think. Because I know him now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment. Well, but, but it was not a compliment. I'll tell you this. All right, but I'd like, but for, I would just say the world does not exist where, say, I would say to a black athlete after a dunk, wow, you're a freak of nature. Like, that mm-hmm. world does not exist, because that, to me, is a incredibly racially loaded thing to say. Okay. But who defines what nature is? Thank you. And this is what happened. There was a promo Sunday morning, and um, I think I just, outside, outside the lines just went up, I can't recall. And it's, it, was, it was hyping the uh, Pelicans playing, I forgot whoever, and they were talking about Davis. Anthony and Davis. And it said, freaks of nature, I hit the roof. Now, Monica, my daughter, we talked about her on the show, didn't understand since I'm crazy and a fossil, which you used. <laughs> and I went, I said, well, because you didn't have to fight to be a man, it did just be called a man in this country. And they're labeling him freaks of nature. Now, contrast that with your boys on Fox Network, the, the, the redneck and suits station, co- saying that. My boys. I just threw that out there. Thanks. It's saying that the reason, Giuliani was also doing this, saying yeah. that the reason that the Gardner. Uh, killing and Brown was okay was because he was big hulking black man. Uh, now you turn around and say freaks of nature about mm-hmm. Anthony Davis because he's long armed and dunks a basketball. I hit the roof as he should have, as he should have. It's, uh, I said the um, the same thing. I, I was on Sharpton show on MSNBC and he asked me about the Ray Rice case and I said before we say anything. We have to understand there's a social cost to making Ray Rice the face of domestic oh, violence. Yeah. And Peterson of the child the, abuse. Yeah, there, there's a social cost to that. That, need, that doesn't mean you don't talk about the cases, but if you don't recognize that, you're in the weeds. Absolutely. Hey, this is Edge of Sports. We got to go. Thanks to everyone. We are out of here. Peace. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.